Hey, good morning. Hey, this morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. If you want to begin to make your way there uh, via your phone or a Bible in the pew back in front of you, if you don't have a copy of God's Word and would like to take that home with you, we would love for that to be a gift uh, from us to you. If you're not familiar with how to use the Bible, where the books are located, there's a table of contents at the front of the Bible that'll let you know where to find Galatians chapter 1. Large numbers are going to be chapters, the small numbers are going to be verses. This morning we're in Galatians 1 and 10. Let me read God's word for us. Paul writes and says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Let me pray for us once again. Father, this morning we come in and recognize that even in this quick reading of this text that we are coming directly in conflict with our inner turmoil, our inner desires. We want to be right. We don't want to feel awkward. We want to be accepted. We don't want to be an outcast. Somewhere we suppose in our minds there's this middling ground where we can stand with you and, and, and have friendship with the world. God, would you absolve us? Would you remove that from our minds this morning? Would you dedicate our hearts to you? Would you help us to be found steadfast, moving in your will, supported by your spirit, living a life that upholds the banner of Jesus Christ and him alone in every place we go? God, this morning as we came into this room, we are men and women with minds pulled in different directions, affections pulled in different directions, weighed down by depression, weighed down by anxiety, weighed down by the things that are awaiting us tomorrow. But here in this moment, would you drive those things from our mind? Would you center our hearts and our minds on your word? And God, by the power of your spirit, would you richly apply your word to our heart? Do not let us leave this place the same. Do not let us leave this place without us bowing down before your throne, recognizing you as king and meeting with you in this space of time. So God, would you come into this place? Would you be honored and glorified in this gathering? Would you give our minds the attention they need? Would you give our hearts the room that it needs to center on you to allow the work of your spirit to happen in our lives in this time, in this space? God, we submit these things to you. And this time to you is an act of worship before you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. A number of years ago, I was working for Southwestern Seminary. And the guy who was my boss got a promotion. And and this was great for him. This was amazing. And Valerie and I had already committed to move overseas to going to be missionaries. And so he comes into my office and he just says, hey, listen, uh, I know you're not going to be here for a whole lot longer. But we need somebody just to kind of step into the role in an interim basis just, just to help kind of move things along until a full-time replacement can be found. Are you willing to do that? And I said, well, what does that actually look like? He said, it really doesn't look like a whole lot more for you, but it is more money. And I said, where do I, where do I sign? This sounds great. Not a whole lot more to do and a lot more money. This is the job I want. So he said, no problem. So I, I step into this interim director role, and I felt like I had arrived. And I really felt like I'd arrived, and I really felt like I had some type of authority to do something until I made my way from my office down the hall into the secretary's office that had been hired maybe a week or two before. And I'm standing there, and I'm relating to Tiffany. What we need to do as a staff, and how things need to work, and how things need to operate, and she'd only been on on the job for a couple of weeks. I'm relaying all these things to her. 
And, and the sense that I get from her is, who do you think you are, jerk face? <laughs> and so I'm retracing my steps mentally. I'm like, all right, I was in my office. I'm full of power and full of authority and all these things. And I walk down the hall and I'm like, you know, zippity doo dah, zippity yay. And I walk into her office and I relay a simple we need paperwork. We need phones answered. We need phones transferred. But what I get from you is, I don't know how to describe this. Like she's just kind of an evil person. <laughs> and she's sending that evil back my way. And I get the sense that she doesn't think she works for me. She, she doesn't think she has to answer to me. She doesn't think I have any authority over her whatsoever. And she was wrong. But you know, the way we go about our lives, the ways that we live out the day-to-day, the Monday-Tuesday, -day, Wednesday-Thursday, Friday-Saturday, Sunday's different. But the ways we live out the majority of our lives, I wonder if we're not giving that same response to the Lord. I wonder if, if when His Spirit speaks to us and it begins to bring conviction upon us and, and when we read His Word and, and when we hear things said that, that feel like something that we don't really want to. If what we're saying back to the Lord with our hearts, with our mouths, and certainly with our actions is you have no authority over me. In the passage before us today, Paul moves explicitly to give us an indication who has authority over us and to whom we should submit our lives. Look at how he begins. Paul asked these Galatian believers, he says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? You'll remember these Galatians looked at Paul and they said, listen, Paul, I, I know you came in and you said this is what the gospel is and this is how we are to understand these things and we are to live as those pulled along by grace and carried along by grace. But, but we've heard that, that sometimes when you go into other cities that, that, that it just sounds a little bit different, that it's the way it's presented and the way that it's put forth and the call you're putting upon people and the expectation and the demands you're putting upon people. And so it leads us to ask this question, are you sharing different stories in different cities so that people will like you? So Paul asked them to think on this. He asked them to remember what it was like for him when he came through Antioch, when he came through Lystra, when he came through Derby, when he came through these towns, when they heard of his suffering, when they continued to hear of his sufferings, and to put forth in their minds Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Which one am I primarily concerned with? Whether people look at me and they say, this is Paul, we approve of him, we like him, we want him here with us. Or am I concerned that the Lord looks at me and says, I am faithful. So Paul wants them to consider this. He wants them to evaluate this and, and, and wonder which one of these things is true of Paul. Because if they come down, if they come down and say, Paul, you seem to be a person who's primarily preoccupied with how people feel about you, 
then they have a freedom to disregard everything he says to them. If they were to say that Paul is a person who's primarily concerned with the approval of man, so that people look at him, and, and what Paul is thinking in his heart is, approve of me, accept me, then they can disregard the instructions that he's given to them. Because he's not a person whose heart is dedicated to the Lord. He's a person whose heart is dedicated to himself. And it's to himself through what other people think of him. So he says, am I trying to secure their approval? And then he turns, he says, or am I trying to please man? Am I trying to please man? Now, I I think when Christians hear, and we come to this understanding of, should I be a person who pleases men? Should I live a life as a man pleaser? We would say, no, don't do that. That seems to be a bad idea. And I would say, in the main, you're absolutely right. But what Christians do, what we have this habit of doing, is we take that idea, which is right and true, and we say, I don't want to please anybody. And so this is how we translate that into action. I'm terrible to everybody. Somebody disagrees with me, I'm like, fool, 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 I like you, fool, 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 I like you, I'm married to you, fool, 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 fool. And and, and we baptize it in this understanding that I shouldn't care what people think, and I shouldn't care how people respond to me. And so we go into this understanding, we apply it to everybody, and so somebody walks away, and they say, what do you know about Jordan? You're like, Jordan is a creep, I hate him. Why do you hate him? Because he doesn't care what anybody thinks about anybody. And if you ask him, he'll tell you. Don't share your opinion with me. I hate everybody. And by and large, this is kind of the worst end of where we see these things moving in Christianity, within ourselves. Now, what is he talking about when he says we shouldn't be those who strive, who desire to please men and men only? In John chapter 12, Jesus has been doing miracles. He's been displaying his power. He's been speaking authoritatively. And what we see is is that people are faced with, do I follow Jesus and let it cost me something, or do I stay here and receive what I want? And in John chapter 12, in verses 42 and 43, read these words with me. It says, nevertheless, even many of the authorities believed in him. Men and women believed in Jesus and they were willing to follow him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. Why? So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. And then John offers us his commentary on this. He says, for they loved the glory of man more than the glory that comes from God. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And so we get this sense in the middle of this that we should not be those when faced with making decisions, when pursuing a course of action that our primary determining rubric and the way we apply, do I do this or do I do that, is how are people going to respond? Will I have any friends left when this is all said and done? Now Paul also adamantly pursues pleasing men, pleasing people. And so I just want us to see this. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's talking about the the depths he goes to, the extent he goes to to be impactful to those around him. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, 
that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save, everybody say some. That I might save some. I can do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. You see, the primary motivator in Paul's life, the primary motivator in Paul's life was not that people would look at him and say, I give him my approval. It was not that people would like him. The primary motivator in Paul's life was that men and women would come into contact with the living God, Jesus Christ, and have an opportunity to respond to his gospel. So when Paul stepped into a situation and he meets the most curmudgeon of mudgeon people, he meets Tiffany the evil secretary, right? Who is admitted, or on her profession of faith, a Christian, and we're still weighing that out. To her, in the midst of these things, he seeks to engender a a connection there to create a bridge to the gospel, recognizing that she in her heart is completely evil. I mean, she kills puppies on the weekends probably. But in the midst of these things, he recognizes the importance of leveraging his life, winning her approval, and pleasing her so that he might have an opportunity to stand and invite her to know Jesus. Do you see the difference there? On the one, we see Paul as the primary beneficiary of pleasing people. On the other, we see God as the primary beneficiary of people being pleased. That men and women might hear and be able to respond to the gospel. And that's where we see ourselves needing to move. But that's not the question Paul is asking. He says, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? In the midst of these things, you and I, over the course of our lives, have to make a thousand different decisions each day on who are we going to please. And even as we sit here in this room, some of us are coming to this understanding that we really come down into kind of three simple, three simple places. Some of us, in the midst of this, we recognize that we actually want to please the Lord. Man, it is our heart cry. When we wake up in the morning, it is on our hearts, I want to please the Lord. And then over the course of our day, we recognize that there are are opportunities and ways that we are succeeding. You remember that Monday morning when you stood there and your coworkers began to head down this, 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 this path of dialogue that was going to place you in opposition to them. You heard them going through and ratifying cultural belief on gender and cultural belief on sexuality and cultural belief on all kinds of different things. And you felt yourself and you felt this, this freight car of culture moving towards you. And in that moment, you made a decision. Do I step out of this conversation? Do I back away to go hide in my cubicle? And do I get back to my cubicle and say, praise God, I was able to avoid that? Or, in the midst of this moment, do you freely take on the brunt and the blow of culture's intersection with you? 
And from a place of compassion, in a place of love, do you then have an opportunity to share your Christian convictions biblically concerning what the Bible says about these things? Not in such a way as to wag your finger in front of them. Not in such a way as to point out what a terrible person they are. But in such a way as to point to the tremendous love of God who has created humanity to be a certain way. And who calls them to know him. These are the decisions we're faced with. These are the choices before us. And how we move these and how we do these, we will find ourselves either being those who delight to please and win the approval of God or to please and win the approval of man. Some of us want to please the Lord and we stand in the midst of those conversations. Some of us, just like the ways we live our lives, this to you today is new information. You have never stopped to consider whether or not you should be actively seeking to please and win the approval of the Lord. You've never thought uh, about any of these things because in your mind, supposedly, what you have come down on is just, I need to be a kind person. Kind people permit all kinds of evil all the time. But a person who is devoted to the Lord, a person who is willing... To stand outside to be made awkward, to stand outside and to lose the the pleasure of the people around you, to stand outside and lose the approval of the people around you, that person has to set their mind on winning the approval of the Lord. If this is something that you've never considered, begin today to apply it. I think there's a third category of us. And this third category of us is the person who has looked at it and who has weighed the alternative. And at the end of weighing these things, they say, God's not worth it. God is remote. His judgment is far off. His forgiveness will cover this. He is not worth it. It's not a big deal. You are making a conscious decision in that moment to sin. You're not being kind. You're not being thoughtful. You're not being gracious. You're not being loving. In that moment, in those moments, hear me say this, you are sinning. In those moments. And every time you don't open your mouth, and every time you pull yourself out of those conversations, and every time you don't enter into conversations that you're already in, you give a tacit, unspoken endorsement of a worldview that is opposed to the God of the Bible. And every such interaction is sinful. And every such interaction reveals in your heart who your authority is. And inasmuch as you find yourself disregarding and disobeying the Lord, what you say in those moments is, I am my highest authority. And what I value as my highest authority are these people's opinions, not what God says, not what God directs. Not what his word instructs. So 
Paul, in the midst of these things, wants us to understand why this is so critically important. I think there's a way in which to read these, and Paul says, really what we want you to come away with is a Christian understanding of how to lose friends and alienate people, and that's not what he's communicating. The importance isn't that Christians are those with the fewest friends, but for some of us, this would be a good thing for you to have fewer friends. It would be a good thing for you to have fewer friends and care less about what people think about you and be closer to the Lord, those things which matter eternally. So he gives us this why. He he gives us the instruction of why it's so incredibly important. Look at what he says in the latter half of verse 10. He says, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, in verses 13 and 14, we see this picture of what Paul describes as his former manner of existence. Paul speaks as someone who was a man pleaser. He was primarily occupied and centered on pleasing the people around him because they represented his future. They represented his advancement and they represented his friend group. Look at what he says in 13 and 14. He says, you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul essentially says, you remember how I used to be? Man, I was so caught up and captivated that when people looked at me, they said, he is the epitome of what we want For our daughters to marry. Like for our little Jewish daughters. Like this is the guy we want them to marry. He hates Christians. He's out there enforcing rules and regulations. Like Paul is amazing in every way and every facet. And everywhere he went he thought this is how people see me. This is how people are receiving me. And I am excelling. But he looks at his former manner of existence. He says, if this is still who I was, if who I was is still who I am, this is the reality. I would not be a slave or a servant of Christ. See, the harsh reality Paul hits us with is in the midst of these things, if we find ourselves time and again being drawn and submitting to the care and the opinions of the men and women around us, to the culture inside of us, to this internal voice within us that says, I have to be liked, I have to be accepted, and I have to be approved. What we are showing through our actions and our hearts and our motivations is that we are not aligned with Christ. Paul says in Romans 6 and verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin, You have been set free from being a man pleaser. You have been set free from being drawn to winning the approval of the people around you because you have been set free and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Paul essentially awakens us to the reality that you don't have to live like that anymore. In your former manner of existence, perhaps you were drawn along and and you had a certain haircut or you dressed a certain way or you spoke a certain way or you engaged in certain activities and you found yourself doing this because you liked the way it made you feel and you liked the way it made you feel because how people spoke about you and how people thought about you. 
And so what Paul says in the midst of this is when you come to faith in Jesus, all these things die away. You're no longer living for this false identity and the false idol of self-assurance. You are living as slaves of God in righteousness. This is what he calls us to, to drink in. This is what he calls us to live out. And so in the midst of this, we recognize the incredible importance of this in all the various spheres of life we find ourselves in. Listen, if you are a parent, or if you are someone that young people look up to, and when they look up to you, they're taking in and they're drinking and they are ingesting how you respond to the Lord. So in the ways you spend your time, in the ways you talk, in the ways you spend your money and in the ways you invest in the people around you and the way you carry yourself in every facet of your life is a, is a laboratory for them to model themselves after you. And they want your approval. And they want to know that their mom and dad and that the people they look up to think they're doing the right things and you are teaching them what those right things are by your actions. And you're teaching them what those right things are by your attitude. It is so incredibly important that when we as parents, when we as role models make mistakes, we go to our children, we go to the people with whom we influence, and we say, I have made a mistake. Mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, cousin, aunt, uncle, friend, role model, whoever you are in this room, when the people around you see you fail and make a mistake, you can teach them more in your recovery than you ever did in your perfect pattern of behavior. Point them to Jesus. You'll secure his approval and you'll win their heart to the Lord in the process. Point them to Jesus. We have a bunch of students going off to college. We have students in college. The pressures you face on university campuses. If you don't already kind of set in your mind, I want to win the approval of the Lord. I want to have his approval. Man, and I don't care if I'm accepted. I don't care if I'm an outcast. I don't care if people flood my room every day in my dorm. I'm willing to take a stand for Jesus. If you don't firmly establish and set in your mind this principle, you will crumple and fail. It'll happen. And it'll happen within your first day. And you're setting yourself up for failure if you don't dedicate each day to the Lord. Because you're operating in a reserve that you simply don't have. See, I think for a lot of people, there's this understanding that a lot of Christians, that there is coming this cultural tidal wave and when this cultural tidal wave finally makes its way to Greenville, Texas, and, and you presume that it's somewhere out on 30, out near Weatherford, and it's making this way, or it's heading up 35 out of Austin, or it's coming out of Oklahoma, and we know nothing good comes out of Oklahoma. In the midst of these things, then when the future gets here, you'll be ready. You'll stand for these things. You'll, you'll stand against all these uh, various methodologies and worldviews. I will stand for them when they arrive in my community. If you don't stand for Jesus today, 
If you don't dedicate yourself to him today, if he's not an authority in your life in the small, mundane, ordinary, warp and woof of life today, you will not stand for him at some future apocalyptic time that you imagine in your darkest nightmare. It will not happen. You will fold faster than you ever thought possible. You will fall farther away than you ever conceived imaginable. If you do not stand today, it'll never happen. Calvin said it this way. He said, those who resolve to serve Christ faithfully must have boldness to despise the favor of men. Do you see the point he's making there? We must be those who reject the favor of men. We must be those who seek and endeavor only ever to serve Christ faithfully. So what does that look like practically? Let me just give you a couple of things that I think, they aren't the definitive answer, but they are a start for those of us who are struggling with this. Begin each day dedicating yourself to the Lord. The practical step of simply waking up in the morning and saying, yesterday I I didn't do great, but to begin each day dedicating yourself to the Lord, running through verses like this and saying, today I will not seek the approval of man. Today I will not solely try and please man, but today I will live my life as a servant of Christ because that's what I am. I am not a slave to sin and unrighteousness. He has won me. I am a slave to God and righteousness. Begin each day this way. To end each day evaluating how you have been faithful to the Lord. Don't merely kind of set it out and you hit the 1030 hour and you're there by the water cooler and you're failing. You're like, this was awful. I'll start again Tuesday. But when the end of the day rolls around, begin to ask yourself, in what concrete ways did I succeed in faithfully honoring the Lord? In what ways was I a dismal and abject failure in serving the Lord? to do these things not individually but to do these things in community find men and women that will love you enough that will care for you enough that in the midst of watching you burn out and fail they will turn to you and say you are not a slave to sin and unrighteousness let me remind you of his grace at work and calling you from death to life. And let me remind you of the grace that calls you back up on your feet to stand now. And then allow me to stand with you. Christianity in this pursuit of a relationship with Jesus over the course of our lives is not an individual sport. It is not something that you can ever be successful with alone. Perhaps you're married and you say, my, my, my spouse is my best friend and we're doing this together and we don't need anyone else. You also need other people. If you don't have a community of people that are regularly hearing from you and hearing from your heart and encouraging you and challenging you, and if you don't have a community of people where you're not regularly doing the same, you need that accountability. You need that love. You need that support. It can remind you of the grace of God in those moments when you so desperately need it. The Apostle Paul gives us such a picture of what it looks like to dedicate ourselves to the Lord. In first, in Philippians, rather, chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. The singular focus of our lives that we might secure the approval of God that we already have in Christ Jesus. Now listen, today you might have heard this and you're sitting there thinking, man, I am an abject failure and I'm quite certain that God wants nothing to do with me. I'm quite certain he's done with me. I'm quite certain he's disgusted with me. I think probably it's just best for everyone if I quietly slink away. Let me offer you this encouragement out of Micah. And this is where we're in, verses 18 and 19. I hope you hear the promise within this. Micah asks and he says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. The distance you feel from the Lord need not remain. The rejection you feel in your heart, the displeasure you feel you have called him need not be the overriding sense of feeling which pervades your life. He delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Do you hear the compassion of the Lord? Calling you away from your sin. Calling you away from your grief. Calling you away from the mess that you've made. And welcoming you once again back into his grace. Would you join with me as we pray? Father God, we thank you that you give us an opportunity to pray to you, to worship you in song, in the study of your word. God, many of us have been trained over the course of our lives that if we make better grades, our parents will appreciate us more, that we'll get more recognition in school, that if we do better at work, that things will go Better for us in the future, we get better jobs, and so we have been trained over the course of our lives to be those who are concerned with pleasing those around us. And we admit that you are far off, you're distant, you're remote, and you're far from our minds. So God, I pray for those who that is their testimony this morning, that you would arrest them in their ambivalence and indifference. God, that you would call them back to the steadfastness of your love. That they could be like those who despise the favor of men. God, we pray for those in this room and in this hearing who have yet to submit themselves to your son. They don't, they don't know Jesus and none of this makes sense to them. But God, within this hearing, within your word going out, they begin to think that this life and pleasing the people around them is empty and void. They long for forgiveness. They long for the love that you extended them through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son Jesus, an atoning sacrifice for them. 
And so, God, I pray that your spirit would lead them in conviction this morning, that you would guide their steps, that you would direct their hearts. And we submit these things to you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.